Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest is Rishi Bhargava. He is a co-founder at a new startup called Dscope. Let's start right there, Rishi. Welcome to the show. What is Dscope and what are you guys doing? Thank you, Ryan. Excited to be here. Uh, Dscope's mission is to eliminate passwords from the world. So I think the simple way to put it is we are enabling application developers to build applications and secure authentication without a password. So various different mechanisms from biometric to OTP. But again, make it super, super easy because I believe the only way any new technologies get adoption is if they're easy to adopt. And this is customer identity, which is different from workforce identity. So I want to start there at a higher level, just for the purpose of this discussion. When people throw the term identity and the identity category is discussed, it's very complex and chaotic. People mean a lot of different things. What is that? Like, explain the identity as you see it and where do you guys fit? Like, where exactly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think great question. I think identity, when we started about a year ago and us learning the whole identity world, you're absolutely spot, spot on. It's complex. It's entangled with so many things. Uh, we are playing specifically in what is called the CIAM, Customer Identity and Access Management. Mm-hmm. And that category is basically how do you manage your application's customer's identity? It could be a B2C app. It could be a B2B app. But anything to do, do with identity of your customers in your application is where we play in. We do not touch or play in areas where, hey, I'm logging in my employees into an app. That's not the right. space. Uh, but you're but you're competing with the octas. They have they have the odds zero to participate in your space. It's a very very busy category. Indeed. Why did you choose this? I mean, how did you come up with the idea for this? And why did you choose a category like this? I mean, and I want to talk a little bit about your experience with uh, yeah. uh, Demisto. But it's, I mean, you, I, I assume there could have been a million other things you could have tackled. Yeah, yeah. I think by the way, this is this is uh, Dscope or even Demisto. I say it was a team first idea later company, and that's how we are. So we all founders uh, love to work with each other, complement each other, are each other's good friends. So we said we're going to do something new after Demisto's journey and uh, staying uh, three years and growing that Demisto product within Palo Alto. So we said team first. Idea, we actually went through a very thorough inspection of different landscapes. We had uh, three different ideas which we started to think about. Uh, Why this one specifically is, I think, what we realized was the following. One thing we realized is the uh, passwords are the biggest problem in security, right? I mean, even before I go to the customer identity, it's very clear. If I look at last year's Verizon data breach report or any of the big reports, every problem has been related to a password or an MFA stolen or one of these. So it is the biggest problem. Also, as a consumer, right, like our families, uh, they are... They are tech savvy. I mean, my daughter, who's a high schooler, is actually aware of the password problems, uses a password manager, but still, uh, it's hard. It's painful. Password managers make mistakes, uh, breaches with those. So my first thing was like, let's build a better password manager. That was our first idea, all of us founders. But we said, no, why? In today's world, can we live without passwords? And that can be only done if you go to the developer side and build an app without a password. Right. And I think that's, that's how... Uh, we came around to this idea, definitely a busy category. But I think, Ryan, there are a few forces that I believe this is the right time to disrupt the entire identity category. One is uh, fundamentally there is an alternate identity 
that is emerging. Your phone is your identity now. Your email is your identity now. So you could use alternate and behavior to actually identify a user. Hmm. I, can you linger there for a minute when you say your phone and your email is your identity? What, what, what are you thinking? So the, the way I'm thinking is right now, if you look at it, majority of the world's population in all countries have a phone and have a phone number, right? And majority of these devices are biometric enabled. Mm -hmm. So between a phone number where I can send an OTP to verify and biometric to do that second factor, we have a very strong way of authenticating a user, which is way better than a password which somebody needs to remember and could be shared. Without requiring someone to go set up an account and set up a, a username and password and all of that. You're, exactly. You're... I think the big difference, by the way, Ryan, many times people say, oh, we have Face ID. I don't use passwords. But the problem is you still use passwords because Face ID unlocks it's the grounded, password and there's yeah. password. It's right. shielding. It's grounded it. by a password. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, whenever I talk about this identity thing and I had this conversation with someone recently, like it's still, uh, although we live in this password world of password managers and people still reusing and password managers have their own problems now anyway, uh, I can still go to Walgreens, my local Walgreens here, pick up something in the supermarket, look at my phone and scan it across the machine and all the authentication magic and stuff happens in the background. And that's magical to me. Yeah. That that we're there. I know it's all underpinned by a password still, but we're getting there. And when we talk about a passwordless world or a passwordless future, Microsoft talks about it, all these folks talk about it. Is that buzzwordy thing or you really you realistically believe we'll get to a stage where we're no longer creating usernames and passwords at DMV and all these I, I feel yeah, yeah, I know I don't think it's buzzwordy, but I, I think in, in reality, right? I mean, I don't think we'll be zero passwords if you ask me. So So what does passwordless mean to you? Yeah, so the passwordless to me is, uh, when I say it's not zero password, I think there will be certain services which you do need to identify with a shared secret. But those could become identity providers for everything else. So let's take an example. Uh, I need a way to authenticate into my phone, which is a pin, right? Or my face. Once I'm in my phone, then I unlock because of my biometric identity, I unlock uh, the storage on the phone. And after that, I can do WebAuthn and Fido with any service without a password. So between, imagine a new B2C app today. And we have a sample app, which we always show a retail store. You can go to a t-shirt store, you put in your phone number, they'll send you a text at the first right. time. You verified your phone number. And then you say, this is my biometric identity. You create a public-private key crypto. No password is ever created. And now you have an account. Guess what? I mean, WhatsApp did that seven years ago. Mm -hmm. you, like WhatsApp never had a password. Correct. And it is one of the most secure messaging service out there, if you think about it. So, so just coming back to the idea for DScope, I mean, you, you talked about a team coming together and wanting to do this and, and, yeah. and password and identity and so on. What, what have you built different? Yes. What is what your differentiator? What is your sweet spot against? I mean, you're going to be competing with Ping and I believe Conductor One. There's a whole host of companies like we discussed. What is your sweet spot? Yeah, I think the sweet spot for us, and I said this, right? I mean, we are about simplicity. So my promise is 10 lines of code, 10 minutes, and I make your app passwordless. Okay. So sorry. And then that yeah. comes from uh, 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 this, this 
point and drag click interface that allows exactly. people to set up the flow. So right? the idea is you come in, you build a workflow. You say my user logs in. For logging in, they put in a password. Uh, they put in a phone number. They get an OTP. The second step is register your biometric. So they design this in a workflow. We come from that workflow world. We design this in a workflow. After that, literally you embed few lines of code in your app and we do the whole magic. I am not inventing any new authentication methods. There is, by the way, today enough methods out there which could be used. What I am enabling app developers is they don't need to worry about single sign-on with SAML and Okta and OTP to be built themselves or biometric web authentication. Where do you share the keys? How do you store the keys? We're taking care of that. You worry about your app. I, I have the right. tagline, which is we do auth, you do you. Got so it. that's that's the idea. Are you worried or, are, or should I as a developer, me as, an, as a buyer, be worried about putting all these keys and all these golden tickets into Dscope's hand or startup? And how would you make sure that you're not introducing risk into my environment and you're not part of my risk surface. Help me understand how you view that because we've, we've had examples. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Okta. We've had examples of the of MFA provider and, and, and the trust providers at that level being the conduit for the attacker. How do you make sure you're not? Yeah, so I think there's, there's two levels, right? One is I think if I think about with the security hat on, which is how do we attack, reduce our attack surface? And two, Whatever is the attack surface, how do we protect it, right? So I think first is reducing is an important piece. So since we are so focused on methods which are passwordless, the only thing we store about a user is the phone number. And then the user is authenticating us, gets a token. The token is on the device itself. So arguably, if somebody gets access to our data, stored data, not the infra, they get nothing. They get phone number. Of course, it's PII. I'll get to how we protect that. How do we secure that? But it's not that I have stored passwords, which somebody will steal and get access to. So that's one side, which is because we built it in the passwordless mindset, it's very, very restricted to uh, all the regular stuff, Ryan. I think we, you have been in the security space for long. I've been there. I, I always say, guys, there is layered defense. You need to think one thing after another. By the way, I am very happy over the last few years, SOC 2 as a compliance standard coming around. They have put in some very good standards. As a company, we are SOC 2 compliant, uh, but compliance is not security, I say. So one of the okay, things- Okay, I was did, just going to challenge you on yes. like holding up SOC 2 as, 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 no, as no, your no. security layer. Okay. No, no, no. Secu compliance is not security. Compliance does lay the foundation, uh, but I think a few things. One, we hired- uh, head of security on day one, literally. He was one of the first five employees who joined the company. Experienced uh, person, worked in, uh, um, in Israeli Defense Forces. So very, very strong credentials to start with the security team. Two, uh, very strong security program internally and complete disclosures. Like as a startup coming out, from a disclosure program to responding to transparency. Uh, we have a community that says, guys, come on, please tell us what's missing. Respond to that quickly. Uh, those best practices and then internal regular uh, ethical hacking exercise, penetration testing on a quarterly basis, all, all the best practices eventually. I think the way it's the same answer, right? I mean, we all went through this four or five years ago, which is 
if I put my data in the cloud, that's less secure or more secure? I think I hold the same argument, which is arguably a small startup building an app will not be able to do justice on their credentials. We have done this for decades as a team. And that's that's right. what I'm uh, putting out there. You raised an abnormally large seed round. I don't know why you call it a seed round, but you raised a $53 million round to come out at the door with, which, I mean, it helps, in my opinion, it helps, uh, it helps give you some sort of like solidity and credibility that you're not just this tiny startup, this tiny seed funded startup that I'm putting on my identity and, 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 and my infrastructure in your hands, right? I, so I have two questions. Why raise this big round? And the, um, what does that help with? I mean, yeah. in terms, in, I, in I addition to the credibility uh, piece. I think the, the two parts to it, which is, as you said, right, why the big round? I think uh, the reality is it is not a simple space to be in. It's crowded, you said, but if I'm building a CIM platform for us to be able to deliver value to our customers, we need to be able to build SDKs and um in all different languages, right? I mean, today, out of the box, on first within the first nine months of the product building, we launched with Node.js, Python, Golang, React, WebJS, bunch of SDKs. Why? Because app developers will need what they want. Two, making it super, super easy. Three, global infrastructure. I mean, if you are using Dscope, would you want your users to have amazing experience from login, which is the first time the user touches your app right. globally, right? I mean, we are working with companies which have global retail presence. They don't care whether their users are coming from Europe or US. They want sub-millisecond or millisecond right. login experiences. So infrastructure uh, is another thing. So I think for us, one, to be building a strong product for our customers just we to be capitalized that like that would be yeah. like yeah. big beast. Second, it does lend credibility, Ryan. You're right. I mean, I think one of the most common questions we are asked when we go compete with the larger uh, players is, why do we trust you? And I think our answer is first, this team has done it before. We are a startup in the sense we just got started. But if you look what this team has built before, we have started with nothing and built businesses which are hundreds of millions of dollars in ARR, scalable products. And for that also, I think the round gives customers the feeling that this company is going to be around and not die in the uh, economic environment we are in. Uh, which segs to my next question. We are in a weird topsy-turvy economic environment where things are a little unclear. Uh, two questions, because I got to ask it. Yeah. Were you guys caught up in the SVB situation in any way? Uh, we were fortunate that we were not caught in that situation. I think two things. One, we, I, I think um, I, I'll give the credit to our co-founder who, who's head of finance. He is like, he is a big believer in diversification and was getting better interest rates at another place. So it moved to another right, one. Right. And then we reacted. So there was small, small sum there. Then we small reacted on Thursday right? morning, small exposure there. Uh, and I asked the question because there's, you can help a lot of your 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 peer, a lot of uh, startup founders, especially early stage startup founders, try to navigate a lot of the the what do they call it, the venture yeah, venture debt, uh, venture debt situation. Because a lot of your VCs are pushing you to take out venture debt with these banks, and then these banks require you to have the substantial amount of your money there. How do you di diversify in that environment? Is that a, is there a, is there a playbook it's for it? 
I, I don't know if there is a playbook for it, Ryan. It was very, very, very tricky. In fact, I'll be honest, even though we were not affected, uh, I I advise startups. Well, your ecosystem I'm, is affected. I mean, ecosystem like was affected. I mean, that weekend affected, for me, including... that weekend was very tough for me. At least four of my very close friends who are founders, they had their entire company, entire amount of money. They had to run a payroll on that Monday. And by the way, that was because all of them actually had a venture debt from SVP. So you're right on because you start with this says, hey, SVP. Venture your VC is, is pushing you to do it. VC your VC is asking you to take X number of uh, your 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 value, not yes. your valuation, your funding yeah. amount in venture yeah. debt from SVB. And SVB, I mean, it was part of the system that worked for 20 years for everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the answer is, I think these things are always a learning. Uh, diversification, which we, for some reason, always did in our personal finance. We always were told from day one, I started my job, hey, take everything, diversify. Right. We never thought of that diversification in our corporate finance. Wonder why. I think it's just never thought about it. Uh, but I think uh, eventually uh, that's the answer there. You view it as a black swan event or is this something that CEOs are now starting to get a CFO hat on their head to kind of like keep your head on? Because I mean, like this became an existential issue overnight. Like you mentioned Thursday yeah. and Friday, people were just like, how do we make payroll? People are making hundred mil, people are making million dollar loan out of their own pocket just to make sure we keep developers paid and so on. Right. I mean, yeah. if it's existential like that, was it like, do you view this or do you and your, or your peers viewing this as this? Yeah, Black I think the, the way my peers are viewing this, and I've talked to uh, a lot of these friends, is I, I don't think it's it's not wise to hire a CFO early in the day. I think what this does is uh, puts another, uh, another uh, call it another thing for CEO to think yeah. about responsibility. To we, we always, I mean, all CEOs eventually look at the finances, look at the book closing. But now there is a thing to say is like, hey, what is our exposure? So I think the everybody on the so companies I'm on board of, the discussion was quite simple, guys. You do not need to now leave everything and start to become a CFO in the company or hire a CFO. The thing to do is uh, do the diversification, have it at a couple of places, and then do have quarterly checks and balances. That's about mm-hmm. it. Uh, it is, it is a, I, I hope it is a one-off. I think I expect this is the part. At least I expect the financial system to be stable. Yeah, to, I mean, if that's not this, stable, what, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna I mean, do? That's stuff out of our hands. Do you do you yeah. feel like it's kind of settled down now, and do you feel like we're getting yeah. back to a say it's normalcy? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I feel it's normal. People are back to business. At least the way I think judge these things is when I talk to a CEO or talk to a founder. What is the question they ask me? They're back to asking me product market fit questions, go to market questions, customer questions, and not how do I make my payroll questions. Right. Rishi, is it easier to build a company now than it was when you guys were building Demisto? How much did you raise with Demisto? 39, 29? Well, Demisto's first round was six, actually. So right, in total, though, before the total, exit. Total was, yeah, 39, uh, 40, something like that, yeah. 40 42. million, and you had a 560 million exit, which was clearly a big successful exit. You guys spent a couple of years there at Palo Alto working internally before Three this, this venture. And now you got a lot of money, so, I mean, it's going to be... A, 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 and I, I asked the question, is it easier now or not? Uh, talk to me a little bit about this environment where layoffs... Cutbacks, yeah. retrenchment, companies are kind of tightening their budgets here and there, including security spending budgets. And at the same time, you have to hire the right people. I, it, it feels like you're in this kind of chicken and egg situation where 
Yes, I think uh, there's two parts to it, Ryan. One is I feel um, depending on the stage of the company, you're going through a different challenge. A company that is very, very early where they are building the product, uh, starting to sell, but not really pre-revenue. hundreds of customers, their pre-revenue, that's that's not such a big challenge because of the economy. Why? Because your first 10 to 20 customers are early adopters. Design which partners. Is not a, either business partners or people, uh, even, even if it is not in your network, those early adopters are the adopters where the pain point is so acute that the budget is not a problem. Okay. Right? It's like... When you start to sell in masses, when you hire sales teams, that is when you need to worry about, is there an allocated budget category? Is the budget shrinking? First few customers are always early adopters who believe in your vision, who have a pain point that's so high, they're going to come along. Of course, you may get the deal size, which is smaller than you would have got if the economy was nicer or uh, doing better. But that's okay. I think so. What I'm saying is companies that are early, it's not as tough. But for them, what is more important is how do you make sure what you build now is going to be worthwhile for somebody to pay in a year from now? And how do you time it? And how do you, since you're pre-revenue, don't burn your money too soon when the market comes back? And that is a critical decision. I always tell people, it's like, okay, you have a runway of 18 to 24 months, assuming that is what the economic cycle is. But at the same time, will you, when the economy starts to turn around, is your product going to be ready? And if you ready, time these exactly. well, then you do an amazing explosion, growth. But if you don't do that well and you start to now do product market fit after economy starts to pick up, you're going to be left behind by other players. Right. What does 53 million give you in terms of runway? Is that a typical 24 oh, yeah. to 36 million 36, runway or you 30, feel like you... Plus. No, no, no. We, we, we have a... Again, with every with every startup, I think it depends on how you want to burn, uh, what's your growth goals. But it gives us long 36 plus for us. Uh, and I, I think in the even within the last 40, 45 days of being out there, out of stealth, we are getting some amazing positive feedback on the product. Uh, large, small organizations. We have many... Uh, because I was saying the ease of use is a big thing for us. We have many, many, many application developers who built uh, apps with Dscope. We didn't even know about them. And suddenly we see, hey, there's users flowing in from right. this city. Where are these users logging in from? We, we have a very broad free tier, which is one of the big things we wanted to do to make it easy and offer a free tier. And that's your buyer, right? The actual developer. I mean, that's, you have to go build a whole developer community and, and invest a lot of effort there. Uh, a quick question on 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 Microsoft, Google, Amazon, uh, because uh, Microsoft is a twenty billion dollars a year soft, uh, security vendor. Google obviously have their own ambitions. They bought the Soar vendor, and they have Chronicle and Mandiant, and you can start to see pieces yep. of that coming together. I can imagine Amazon is not going to let that market go to waste. They are probably going to enter that market. Yeah. How do startup founders like you navigate that world when there's always a Microsoft there that's that, that you're likely a, a feature within a product in the, of theirs? And not necessarily the scope, but in yeah. general, how do you navigate a world where you're protecting Windows environments and protecting Windows boxes? And then you have Microsoft as this big 
machine humming along there? Is there a nervousness and a worry that you guys navigate? It's always there, right? I think, Ryan, you, you, you're so like, you, you spot these trends and you're asking some of the toughest questions that any security founder... It's an obvious about. question. It's an oh, obvious right? question. It is. I think the way I think about it, though, it's no different than uh, any other competition which is of the larger size. Microsoft has an immense power, by the way, right? I mean, if I look at Microsoft... And they and have Google a passwordless like identity-related uh, uh, ambition Solutions, as well. Ambition they've been trying well, to do it for 20 years. I mean, yes, Microsoft will yes. be talking about fixing identity for 10, 20 exactly. years. So. I think the... There are two answers. One is in general and then identity specific. I think first, in general, the big thing is uh, you need to build a product which is better than everybody else for the use case you are building, for the customer you are building. And notice there is a customer, there is a use case, and you need to find that right Venn diagram and you need to go says, I am the best for this use case and for this category of customers. If you do and that- And bet is that Microsoft will not get as granular to that Microsoft specific. Yes, and by the way, Microsoft or any large company will not get as granular. Right. It's the innovator's dilemma because it's not a big market for them. Now, if you solve it really well for this market, then you can start to expand. And before you realize you are owning that category. And that's what, by the way, the whole, every startup that turns into a big company starts to right. do whether you look at google yahoo or whatever these use cases but identity is an interesting one i think the um the reason why octa became what octa became identity has been around and every one of the google and microsoft and apple everybody owned part of the identity puzzle but it's one of those where i don't believe an IT infrastructure company can own an identity security by themselves because the the point is it's I'm not going to have only Microsoft infrastructure or Microsoft laptops. I'm not going to only have Apple or I'm not going to have only Google services. I'm going to have cross. Like if you look at right now, we support login with Google, login with Microsoft, login with Apple, and we support all of them with ease within minutes. I support biometric, which is WebAuth and Fido, which works with passkeys from Google, Apple, and Microsoft. And we right, are the right. vendor who can make it work like this, no matter what your app is. So like I was, I was talking to a customer uh, last week. It's like, oh, I'm building only for iOS today. So I only care about the iOS. And that's why I'm going to probably just write to Face ID. And I was like, perfectly fine. What are you going to do in three months if your app becomes big and you're going to go build for Android ecosystem? Says, oh, yeah, that's right. And then it's like, what about the web? It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. So so what should I do? So I'd write it to WebAuthn, write it to Fido, write standard, by right, the way, right. Face ID, everything works with that. So I think the, the point I'm making is these independent standards which go cross-platform is the right choice for the app developer and hence the right choice for us. Got it. Uh, you have uh, roots in Israel. You mentioned your chief yes. security guy comes out of Israel. Demisto, your co-founders are Israeli guys. Is there an advantage to being an Israeli company? And what is that advantage? I think uh, that's an excellent point, right? I mean, so three of my uh, four co-founders, uh, actually, uh, we, we have a large co-founding team, if you look at it, right? Eight of us actually as co-founders. Uh, four, all, uh, all, all, other. all, all linked to Demisto as well, right? The previous all Demisto, linked to guys, Demisto. Right? all of us uh, were at Demisto, right. uh, four of the Demisto co-founders and four of the early Demisto engineers. That's, that's the co-founding team. Um, and, uh, all of them Israelis, uh, three of us here and five of them in Israel. 
I think the big advantage is one, the level of engineering talent that you can just find talent. in Israel is just amazing, right? Uh, and second advantage is the food. No, I'm kidding, but it's amazing. It's like when you visit Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. amazing food. Uh, but uh, talent, uh, the product uh, understanding, and again, I mean, most of these folks have gone through deep security cheaper talent? research. Because it's an important question. Is it cheaper talent than the same same commensurate slightly, talent? Okay. Slightly. If I put in the Bay Area hat on, slightly cheaper, not much. I think it used to be better earlier on, but I think just like if an area becomes popular, right. then the cost goes up. So not much cheap. But amazing talent. And second is uh, in in one or the other jobs in their military service, which is mandatory, they have gone through deep security learnings or deep engineering jobs. So they come the trained, culturally, the culturally yeah. trained, disciplined. I, I love it. I mean, I think the point is the product and engineering team we have got because of our roots is unparalleled. What is the downside of the Israeli connection? Is there any? Because I'm starting to hear from CISOs now are saying, hey, can you tell me about a company that does XYZ that is not Israeli? I'm hearing that from CISOs here in the US. And is that something that's crossing your radar? And is I, there any other downsides yeah. of being in, is being linked to Israel? Uh, so I have not heard it, to be honest. But my is like late nights, either for them or late nights for us. I think, of course, just like any other remote teams, global teams, uh, what you really need to make sure when you're building products and selling products is you're always aligned. And that's kind of uh, the rigor we learned how to do which is regular calls, regular sync-ups, write-down details. Uh, that's a thing to overcome when you're working uh, with remote teams. Uh, other than that, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm not hearing this trend. Uh, there were early on, I think, uh, there were this belief that selling into U.S. government is tougher. But I have seen with the right structure in terms of you being exposing the libraries you use, ready for code reviews, we didn't face any challenges even in past or even now. Hi, Rishi. What happens next for you guys? Any big plans on the horizon? I mean, what is what are you most excited about as you look forward? To- yeah, I think uh, we are in active uh, customer acquisition mode, Ryan. So I think what I'm most excited about is I think... Uh, so there's a product in deployment, shipping and working and yes. creating customer workflows for customers yeah. right now. Okay. We, we have customers in production, uh, dozens of customers in production, in fact. I think in the short uh, window when we came out, people have adopted it, getting extremely good feedback. I think from my perspective, now is the iteration on the product. I, I'll be the first to say uh, the product is never done. Right. I mean, the day the product is done, the company is dead. And that's my fundamental belief. You need to keep innovating in the technology space every day. So I think one is we are continuing to add uh, many, many capabilities on the early feedback. I'm getting amazing feedback that the whole workflow approach is unique, even though it has been talked about by a couple of companies which were started about a decade plus ago, but nobody executed on this power of workflow for identity. Uh, So we are looking forward to adding more use cases. People want us to integrate with other third-party systems in the workflow. So tons of innovation coming that way. And then I think my second thing I'm most excited about is I think I am starting to see some of the retail companies that me and my family and my friends use are starting to get on the bandwagon of passwordless. 
Right. So I think uh, I had told my family, it's like my goal is to retire our password manager in seven to 10 years. And I, I want to continue on that goal. Oi, can we do it faster? <laughs> Rishi, so thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. And anytime you have something else to say, come on back. Thank you, Ryan. Always a pleasure to be chatting with you. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely.